Hello, my name is Julia, and this is the Media Podcast, where I talk about medicine in the context of media. Today, I am so excited to cite an early episode of one of my favorite shows and to talk about sexual health. The show is Girls on HBO, which aired throughout the 2010s. It's a show, if you haven't seen it, about four friends in New York, post-grad, trying to figure out their lives in their early 20s. It's my favorite. I just love it. I think it's amazing. But whether you're a fan of the show or not, the purpose of the show in the context of this podcast is to use it for inspiration, for educational purposes. So that's what we're doing today. Today, we are talking about girls to do a little a little sex ed. The episode we're talking about today is season one, episode three of Girls called All Adventures Women Do. In the episode prior to this episode, so episode two, Hannah, who is the main character played by Lena Dunham, starts to worry about the stuff that gets up around the sides of condoms. So she's sexually active. She has one partner named Adam. They have what you might call a situationship. They're sleeping together. She thinks that they're using condoms, but really Adam would like pretend to put on a condom when she would ask and then toss it aside, which is not good. Not what we're talking about today, but an issue. Anyway, so they weren't really using condoms, but in her mind, she was using condoms. She starts to worry about the stuff that gets up around the sides of condoms. So what she's worried about is semen that comes out during ejaculation, basically overflowing from the top of a condom, and she's worried that that might transmit infections to her. So she decides to get tested for sexually transmitted infections or STIs. You may be more familiar with the term STDs. The language has kind of shifted just because disease is a little bit more stigmatizing than infection. So STI is kind of the term we use most commonly now, but it's the same. It's referring to the same group of infections. So she gets tested for STIs. She finds out she has one called HPV and she tells her friend Shoshana, who if you're wondering which girl I am, which I bet you are, if I had to pick, I would say that I'm Shoshana, but She tells Shoshana she has HPV. Shoshana's like, no big deal. Everyone has it. Jessa, who's another character, says, all adventurous women do. So the title of the episode, all adventurous women do, is in reference to all adventurous women having HPV. When Shoshana tells this to Hannah, I think Hannah feels very empowered. It makes her feel better and like she's in good company with all the adventurous women with HPV. She does confront her sexual partner, Adam, and she says, you gave me HPV. And he's like, no way. I don't have it. I got tested. I'm negative. So then Hannah goes to her ex-boyfriend, Elijah, who's played by Andrew Rannells, who's like an angel obsessed with him. She goes to Elijah and is like, you gave me HPV. And he's like, how do you know? And she's like, because my boyfriend didn't give it to me and you're the last person I slept with. So you gave it to me. And he's like, there's no way for your boyfriend to know because there is no test for men. So he might have it. He might not. He cannot know. So then she goes home. She tweets, all adventurous women do, and then dances to the song, Dancing on My Own. Marnie, her roommate, comes in. They dance together. It's really like an iconic scene. And every time I hear that song, this plays in my mind, and it's so good. So anyways, 
today for this episode, we are talking about what about the stuff that gets up around the sides of condoms? How protective are condoms? What is HPV? Why do we worry about it? And how can we prevent it? And is there a test for men? So first off, condoms. What even are they? A condom is a barrier device used during sex to decrease the probability of pregnancy and of sexually transmitted infections, or STIs. There are both male and female condoms available for use, but male condoms are more widely used, and the research I'll be citing about how effective condoms are comes from studies done on male condoms. So just know that both exist and both are options, but what I'm talking about today is mostly in reference to male condoms. And while they're called male condoms, of course, not everybody with a penis identifies as male and not everybody who identifies as male has a penis. So even though I'm saying male condoms, I'm referring to a condom for a penis. Just to clarify, what these condoms do is cover the skin of the penis to prevent contact between the skin on the penis and the inside of the vagina. And they prevent ejaculate, cum, semen, whatever you want to call it. I'll refer to it as semen. It prevents semen from entering the vagina. So again, when Hannah is talking about her concern regarding the stuff that gets up around the sides of condoms, she's referring to semen basically overflowing from a condom and kind of spilling over the top. And she's worried that that might transmit infections. There are many reasons why people don't use condoms. Research has actually shown that the most significant barrier is a lack of privacy in stores and social stigma. So the most reported reason why someone might not use condoms is because they don't want to buy them because they're afraid of being judged in the store for buying condoms. There are a lot of other reasons, though, and it can definitely vary per person, per couple, but some of the main reasons are perceived ineffectiveness, so people feel like they don't work. People report them as being less comfortable. People report less sexual satisfaction with condoms, and sometimes they're not available in the instant that you want them. So if someone's, you know, in the moment ready to proceed with sex. If they don't have a condom right there, then they might just go on without it instead of stopping and trying to hunt one down, get one from the store, whatever. So one of the reasons I mentioned was perceived ineffectiveness. So people thinking that condoms don't work keeps them from using condoms. So let's talk about their effectiveness. Some of the reasons the condom may be less effective is because of user errors, which means that the people using the condom may do so that is not aligned with the way that is advised. So some reasons people might make errors when using condoms would be using them inconsistently, so not using them during every sexual encounter, applying them late or taking them off early, so not using it for the full duration of a sexual encounter. So in the show Girls... Hannah's sexual partner, Adam, would pretend to put on the condom when Hannah would ask him to, like, and then just kind of fling it across the room when she wasn't looking. So that is user error, okay? He is not using them correctly. He's not keeping it on for the duration of the interaction. So that makes them less effective. Other reasons are they might slip off during sex if they don't fit correctly. And some people reuse condoms. So people may reuse them for a variety of reasons as well. One might be a financial reason, like condoms are not free. So in order to avoid buying more condoms for financial reasons, people might reuse the same condoms. It might be more convenient. Let's say you're on your last condom or you just have one that you've already used 
on your bedside table and the other ones are in a drawer across the room. It's more convenient to reuse the one you just had. Or maybe some people don't even know any better. Maybe people just don't realize that you shouldn't reuse condoms, so they reuse them. So financial reasons, convenience, and even just knowledge about reusing condoms all might cause one to reuse condoms. But every time you reuse the same condom, it further destroys the integrity of the condom. So with each repeated use, they're more likely to slip off during sex because they no longer fit correctly. They're more likely to tear, which will also allow semen to leak through. So condoms, if you could avoid it, should not be reused. Reuse very much decreases how effective they may be. So in line with those user errors that I mentioned, using condoms incorrectly or inconsistently creates a failure rate of about 14%. So the efficacy in preventing pregnancy and infections with inconsistent use is still 86%, which isn't bad. And in absolutely perfect use, so using them correctly and consistently, they're 97% effective. So condoms are very much effective overall. Not 100% of the time, but they do They do a pretty good job. STIs can also spread from direct contact of a lesion. So some STIs cause different like skin rashes. So if that rash is on any area that's not covered by the condom and then that touches your sexual partner, that can also cause transmission of the infection. STIs can also cause discharge from the urethra in men. So in women, we talked about the urethra a little bit when we spoke about vulvar anatomy in episode seven, but in women, you have your urethra where the pee comes out. And if you have any infection that causes discharge, that'll come out the vagina. In men, both semen and urine come out the urethra. If you have discharge from an STI, it's also coming out from the same place. So if you have an STI that does cause some type of discharge and a condom prevents all of the fluid coming out from the urethra from entering the vagina, it's another way to decrease transmission because if it's causing discharge, it can be transmitted via that discharge. I'm just going to quickly talk about condoms and preventing some other specific STIs before we get into HPV. And we can talk about any of these STIs in greater detail in a future episode if you'd like. But first, some STIs are bacteria and some are viruses. So for bacterial STIs, gonorrhea, chlamydia, and syphilis are ones you may have heard of. Condoms are 90% effective at preventing the transmission of gonorrhea, which is amazing. And in chlamydia, about 50 to 90% protective. So maybe not as consistently effective as preventing gonorrhea, but definitely pretty good. In syphilis, the transmission is reduced about 29% for using them inconsistently. And if you use them perfectly 100% of the time, you can decrease the transmission of syphilis by 50 to 71%. And I don't know if you have read the news lately, but syphilis has been making headlines recently because it is, as they say, on the rise. There have been increased cases of syphilis in recent years, and it's continuing to increase. So using condoms to prevent that spread is essential. In terms of viral STIs, one that you might be familiar with is HIV or human immunodeficiency virus. And transmission of HIV is reduced by about 85% when condoms are used 100% of the time correctly, which is amazing. Hepatitis B is reduced by about 90% and herpes are reduced about 40%. So one of the reasons that like syphilis and herpes, which I mentioned, aren't as well protected by condoms 
as the other infections I mentioned is because these are examples of what I mentioned earlier. So if you have skin lesions, rashes, things like that outside of the area that's covered by a condom, they're not protected by condom use. And so if they're not covered up, you can still spread them between partners. And that's the case with syphilis and herpes is it can cause quite a rash that isn't covered. And that's one reason why they're not as well protected by condoms. Now for the virus of the day. What about HPV? So protection by condoms for HPV is actually not significant. Condoms don't really protect against HPV. So what can we do about that? So let's talk a little bit more about HPV now before we get into how we can prevent HPV. First, what is HPV? HPV stands for human papillomavirus. So of course, it's a viral infection. And this is the most common STI. More than 90% of sexually active men and 80% of sexually active women will be infected with HPV at some point in their lifetime. You can get HPV by vaginal, anal, or oral sex with someone who has the virus. It is most commonly spread during vaginal or anal sex. Even without penetration, it can also spread through close skin-to-skin touching during sex. And very important to note, a person with HPV can transmit the infection even if they have no signs or symptoms. And this is really important because 9 out of every 10 people with HPV, 90%, are asymptomatic. So they present with no symptoms at all, and it often does self-resolve within a few years. So basically, you hold on to that virus, and it continues to colonize in your anogenital canal. It can replicate. It can shed you can spread those viral particles to your partner, even if you're having no symptoms at all. And then eventually, like I said, it self-resolves. It'll just kind of go away. But in that other 10%, HPV can cause symptoms like genital warts and cancer. Nearly all cases of genital warts are due to HPV. If you don't treat these warts, sometimes they'll just go away on their own as well. Sometimes they will just date the same, they'll stick around, and sometimes they'll continue to grow in either size or number. But if you want to make sure to get rid of them, you can treat them with a variety of things. There are medications and there are also procedures like freezing, lasers, surgical removal, things like that. And in addition to warts, like I mentioned, HPV can cause cancer. There are a handful of viruses that can cause cancer and HPV is one of them. HPV is most often associated with cervical cancer, but it can also cause cancers of the vulva, vagina, penis, or anus. It increases man's risk of prostate cancer, and it could cause cancer in the back of your throat called oropharyngeal cancer, which can include your tongue and your tonsils. Over 95% of cases of cervical cancer are due to HPV, so that is huge. This cancer often takes years, or even decades to develop after a person gets HPV. Also, it's very important to mention that there are multiple strains of HPV. Genital warts and cancer are strongly related to different strains of HPV. So the most common type of HPV associated with warts is different than the strains most associated with cancer. So it's not impossible to, of course, have multiple strains, especially given how prevalent HPV is. But having genital warts doesn't mean you're at an increased risk for cancer, if that makes sense, because they're associated with different strains of this virus. So how do we treat it and how do we prevent it? First, how do you even know if you have it? How do we test for HPV? 
It's not detected in the blood or the urine like some other STIs are. The test for women is what's called a pap smear, which is basically you insert a speculum into the vagina to get a good look in there to see the cervix, which, as I spoke about in the last episode on endometriosis, the cervix is the narrowing at the top of the vagina. So you can go in there with a very long swab and take a sample of cervical cells. So this is called a pap smear because it's named after a doctor named Dr. Papa Nicolau, who was a Greek physician. So this I learned just recently, this part I'm about to share, this fun fact, if you will. Um, it blew my mind. So I first heard about this in the book, The Emperor of All Maladies, The Biography of Cancer, which is fantastic if you want to learn more about cancer in general. I definitely recommend it. But Dr. Papa Nicolau had a wife named Mary. And Mary volunteered as a subject for her husband. So apparently, Mary would get up on the exam table and let him do a pap smear of her cervix every day for 21 years. Pap smear, I mean, this is amazing. We're so grateful for Mary. Pap smears are so important and have saved so many lives. So, like, we love this. But if you've ever had a pap smear, if you haven't had one before, you should get one if you're above the age of 21. If you have had a pap smear, you know, they're tolerable. Like, they're not the worst things ever. They're definitely worth it for what they can do for you. But they're definitely not pleasant. Like, they're just not super comfortable. So the idea that she was letting her husband do this to her every day for over two decades is either the craziest or, like, the most romantic thing I ever heard. Like, I can't imagine someone I would love so much that I would let them pap smear me every day because it's like pretty unpleasant but then again maybe maybe her love for science was even greater than the love for her husband I don't know or maybe she really did just love him so much and want to do that for him I don't know what her reason was I didn't look that much into it if you know let me know but I just think that's crazy that he pap smeared her every day for 21 years um wild to me blew my mind so how do we lower our chances of getting HPV to begin with? You can get vaccinated. This is amazing. There are very, 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 very few types of cancer you can prevent with a vaccine. So to be able to be vaccinated for this virus and lower your risk of cancer so significantly is incredible. The vaccine is safe and effective, and it does not protect against all types of HPV. So it does not eliminate your chance of getting cervical cancer. But a very large study showed that amongst vaccinated females, the reduction in cervical cancer was about 90%. So again, while it does not get rid of 100% your chance of ever getting cervical cancer, a 90% reduction is remarkable. The CDC recommends this two-dose HPV vaccine for all, both males and females, at age 11 or 12. You can start with this vaccine series, or if you're not vaccinated at that recommended age, so starting 11 or 12, anybody through the age of 26 can get this two-vaccine series. Vaccination is generally not recommended for people older than 26 because most people will have already been exposed to the virus at that point, and so the benefit of the vaccine after that is not super clear, but some people who aren't already vaccinated by the age of 26 may decide that they want it or can benefit from the vaccine and can speak with their doctor and and can still get 
unvaccinated if it's the right choice for them. But the general recommendation is everybody through the age of 26, ideally starting at 11 or 12 years old. So this vaccine is amazing and I recommend it to everybody that's eligible. But the most common strains that cause cervical cancer are covered by the vaccine. But there are other strains that can also cause it that are not covered. And there are still women who are infected with HPV prior to getting the vaccine. So if you have the infection and then you get the vaccine, it does not decrease your risk of cancer. The vaccine prevents you from being infected with HPV in the first place. But if you're already infected, the vaccine does not do much for you. It can prevent other strains and new infections, but it won't do anything for the existing infection. So since women can be infected before getting the vaccine and because the vaccine doesn't cover against all types of HPV that can cause cancer, every woman should be getting pap smears regardless of their vaccination status. Routine screening with a pap smear is recommended for anybody with a cervix from ages 21 to 65, and this can prevent the development of cervical cancer. What pap smears are looking for are either cancerous cells on the cervix or early changes in those cells that might become cancer if they're not treated appropriately. And so pap smears are super important in either catching cancer very early on or preventing it from developing at all. And so Regardless of whether or not you're vaccinated, all women between the ages of 21 and 65 should get pap smears per the recommendations. Now to circle back to Elijah's claim from the episode of Girls at the beginning of the story, is there a test for men? No, not really. So men can get warts. And so that's usually how it's diagnosed definitively is if a man has genital warts, like I said, Almost all cases of genital warts are due to HPV, so men can pretty confidently be diagnosed if they have genital warts, but there's not really a routine testing for men. Like I mentioned, there it can't be detected in the blood or in the urine like other STIs are, and men don't have a cervix, so men don't get pap smears. There is, however, an anal pap smear, so instead of a swab of the cervix, a swab of the anus, and this isn't really used routinely in men, but but since men who have penetrative anal sex with other men might have a higher risk of anal cancer, some of them may decide to do routine anal pap smears to look for similar things in as a regular pap smear. So to look for cancer early on or to look for any kind of precancerous cellular changes. So there's not really a routine guideline for that, but and men who are interested, that's something they could kind of sort out with their healthcare provider if that's a valuable thing for them to do is an anal pap. It's not recommended for all men. And it's more of kind of a personal choice that men can make with their healthcare provider if they want to get these anal paps. So because men don't have a cervix, they obviously can't get cervical cancer, which is the most common cancer caused by HPV. But as I mentioned, there's a variety of other cancers that can be caused by HPV that can affect men. Prostate cancer is already extremely common in older men. About 13% of all men will develop prostate cancer at some point, but men with HPV infection are more than twice as likely to develop prostate cancer than men who are not infected. So in boys and men, getting the HPV vaccine can decrease your risk of prostate cancer and other cancers like penile and oropharyngeal cancer down the line. And of course, if you're not as likely to then contract the infection, 
you're less likely to spread it. So it is beneficial in preventing cancer and also warts in yourself. And it's beneficial in preventing your partners from getting cancer later down the line. So the HPV vaccine is still recommended by the CDC under the same recommendations as for women. So for everybody at around age 11 or 12, you can get it as early as nine and up to the age of 26. HPV vaccine is recommended in everybody. So to kind of sum things up from today, HPV, human papillomavirus, is super common. It's the most common STI. And even though it's usually asymptomatic in a portion of people, it can cause warts and it can cause cancer. It is one of very few types of cancer that can be prevented with a vaccine, the other one being hepatitis. So it's really, really amazing to have that vaccine as a resource. And I recommend it to anyone who's eligible, but vaccine or not, I still recommend pap smears to catch cancer early on if it does still occur. And in men, while there is no routine test for men, they can still get HPV, they can still have symptoms of HPV, and they can still transmit HPV. So I recommend that they get vaccinated as well. Okay. If you listen to this episode, if you're still here, thank you. I really appreciate you listening and being here. And I hope you learned something about HPV today. If this episode left you with any questions or if you have any ideas for future topics to cover, then uh, you can let me know on TikTok or Instagram at MediaPodcast, M-D-I-A, or you can email me at MediaPodcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much. Have a great day.